Welcome to the podcast of Trinity Presbyterian Church in Owasso, Oklahoma. Our passion is to show that grace changes everything in Jesus Christ by equipping you to rest in worship, grow in community, and rediscover your calling. To join our body in financial support of this ministry, visit our website at trinityowasso.com. Now during Advent, we are going to look at what it means to see prophets in the Old Testament foretell Jesus' birth. And then during Lent, before Easter, we're going to look at what it means for prophecies to foretell, to tell what is true now about the Lord Jesus. And so we begin today looking at the first of several very famous passages in Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 7. So if you're able and willing, would you stand for the reading of God's Word? Isaiah chapter 7, verses 10 through 14. The context here is that Israel and Judah have had the civil war 200 years prior. They are split into two kingdoms, Israel to the north, Judah to the south. There are no good kings in Israel. And they, Uzziah, the good king of Judah, has just died. And the reins of the kingdom have been handed over to his son Ahaz. And God calls Isaiah to speak to Ahaz. And Isaiah says to Ahaz, would you ask for a sign? And Ahaz refuses to do so, refuses to call out to God, and so Isaiah says, okay, I'll give you a sign. And that's the context of our text. Beginning at verse 10. Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz, ask a sign of the Lord your God. Let it be deep as Sheol or high as heaven. But Ahaz said, I will not ask, and I will not put the Lord to the test. And he said, Hear then, O house of David, is it too little for you to weary men that you weary my God also? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but God's word, friends, stands forever. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated, please. I love birth stories. I love the story of your children's birth. I love to tell birth stories about my own children. One of our family's favorite is when Lauren was pregnant with our third. Uh, The morning came when she went into labor and I drove her to St. John's and uh, our first two were a very long labor and so we thought we had all the time in the world and so when her mom came to town to rescue our, one of you, who were keeping our kids. When Karen came to town, uh, she came to the hospital and and Lauren said, hey honey, dinner time. I'd forgotten my pillow and my toothbrush. And she said, why don't you go home, get mom settled, and and then, you know, come back, get ready for a, a long night. I've labored long for our first two and certainly this will be no different. So, so I drive back to my home and I'm in my driveway and Lauren calls me on the phone. And she says, where are you? And I said, I'm in my driveway where you sent me. <laughs> and she said, uh, Blake, the doctors are telling me to push. 
And I said, well, honey, I'm telling you to pull. <laughs> and she said, I don't think it works like that. And so I grabbed my toothbrush and my pillow and I hauled down, going the speed limit, I'm sure, all the way down to St. John's and I pull in, I park illegally, I run, I run, if there ever was a time to have an excuse for a ticket, it's now. I just park my car, I run into the, uh, up the elevator, run down the hallway, past the nurse's station, into the room and, and there he is. Beautiful, pink, precious, baby boy and I that my first thought was thank you Jesus and my second thought was holy crud I missed his birth <laughs> and I kid you not when when Bennett was old enough to talk the first phrase out of his mouth was where daddy go I would leave the room and Bennett would go, where'd daddy go? Where'd daddy go? And it was as though he knew as he burst upon the scene that his father was not there. <laughs> I love birth stories. I love your birth stories. I love some of your birth stories. I've been near some of your birth stories. We see little James Kyle Barth in the room, little, little Dylan Johnson in the room. Like we, we see the, the joy of being near birth stories even that have just happened in the last couple of months in this church. Some of you have traveled all the way over the pond to adopt children from other countries. I love those birth stories. They're precious. Why is it that in a loving home parents and grandparents tell their children the stories of their birth? It's because they want those children to know that long before they ever could breathe the breath, long before they ever said their first word, they were loved. This Advent, we prepare to celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ and we will await his second coming, retelling the story of his birth again and again and again as Christmas Day approaches. But the details of Jesus' birth are unusual indeed, aren't they? What's interesting to Christians is that the early church could have emphasized many important aspects of the birth of Jesus in the creeds and the confessions that have been passed down to us. Yes, Jesus was born in a dusty, tumble-down stable because there was no room for the inn, for them in the inn. Yes, Jesus was born when his parents had returned to Joseph's birthplace for a census. Yes, a star guided people to Jesus' location so that they could worship him. Unusual indeed. But despite all of the unusual events that shrouded Jesus' birth, the early church said it was the virgin birth that would be passed down in the earliest creeds of the Christian church. Why the virgin birth? Where do we get this idea of the virgin birth? And quite frankly, why does it matter? Harry Emerson Fosdick, who was an influential early 20th century pastor in New York City, proclaimed, I do not believe in the virgin birth, and I hope, he said to his congregation, that none of you do too. Bishop Joseph Sprague of the United Methodist Church called the virgin birth a myth. 
In a letter to John Adams, Thomas Jefferson once wrote, The day will come when mystical, the mystical generation of Jesus, by the supreme being as his father, and the womb of a virgin will be classified with the fables of Minerva and the brain of Jupiter. And more recently, the late Larry King, who was the longtime host of Late Night with Larry King on CNN, was asked if he could interview one person, who would it be? And he replied, Jesus Christ. And what would you like to ask him, Larry? And King replied, I would like to ask him if he was indeed virgin born. Because the answer to that question would define history for me. What about you? Does it matter? This morning, I want to help you see why it might be more important than you think. First, where do we get it? 750 years before the birth of Jesus, God raised up a prophet named Isaiah. Isaiah lived at a time when there was a vacuum in the history of Judah, the southern kingdom of Israel. As I mentioned before I read the text, that the kingdom had split by civil war 200 years earlier. And when they split during the civil war, Israel to the north was led by evil kings. And Judah to the south was ruled by a man na now named Ahaz, who was the son of Uzziah. And Isaiah came to Ahaz and said, Ahaz, what a great opportunity you have to call out to the Lord, to ask for a sign from him. And Isaiah said, Ahaz said, I will not do it. And to Isaiah responded famously, if you are not firm in the faith, you will not be firm at all. Isaiah 7, 9, the verse just before the text we read this morning. And so Isaiah says, I'll give you a sign from the Lord. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. In the ancient world, the first fulfillment of that prophecy may have well been Ahaz's son or perhaps Isaiah's son. Commentators are split over what the original fulfillment of that prophecy may have been. But the word for Hebrew a uh, word in Hebrew for virgin is Alma, which means a young woman of marriageable age. And all throughout the Old Testament, the word never describes a married woman, not once. It is the only word in Hebrew that signifies an unmarried woman. And by definition in Hebrew, if you were unmarried, you were therefore a virgin. Alma has overtones of virginity all around it. In fact, when the translators were bringing the Hebrew scriptures into Greek and translating the Old Testament into a, something they called the Septuagint, they used the Greek word parthenos, which means virgin. Whereas the Old Testament whispers the virgin birth and this promise to bring about the Emmanuel, the first chapters of Luke's gospel, Gabriel is sent to a virgin. And the virgin's name is Mary. And Mary is understandably overwhelmed by the news. And Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? I, literally in Greek, since I have never known a man. 
And Gabriel explains that her pregnancy will be a miracle. The Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And to encourage Mary, this young teenage girl, fearful, Gabriel says to Mary what? Nothing will be impossible with God. Matthew, of course, tells the perspective of the birth of Jesus from Joseph's point of view. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother, Mary, had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found to be with child from, not Joseph, from the Holy Spirit. An angel came to Joseph to persuade him not to divorce Mary. She had not been unfaithful, the angel declared. For that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. And so Matthew reiterated the miraculous conception by, added, by adding that Joseph knew her not until she had given birth to a son. And he called his name Jesus. Now the Bible very clearly tells us, teaches us, reiterates to us that Mary was a virgin. And that Jesus was conceived solely through the miraculous power of the Holy Spirit. The virgin birth is the basis of Jesus' genuine and unique human life. He became fully human like each of us. He grew in his mother's womb. There was nothing to pretend about his humanity. He, Jesus was presumably, his birth was much like any other. A nervous and agonized mother with tears and blood and fluid and a baby suckling in his first breaths. A relieved father. Yet Jesus was a child like none other. He was the start of a new humanity. Born new, but from of old. God's redemption and restart for the fallen children of Adam. Why does it matter? A close look at how the Gospels present Jesus' birth, especially the connections that they make with the Old Testament, show the importance of the virgin birth. I've got 12. I'm not going to get through them all. But let's go. Number one. The virgin birth shows us that we could never achieve our own redemption. God had to bring about a new creation. Jesus was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit. Who noticed the language in Matthew and in Luke. The Holy Spirit who overshadowed Mary. The same language that God used back in Genesis chapter 1 when Moses was telling Israel in the wilderness about the story of creation. Same metaphor is used. The Spirit of God hovered over the waters. In Mary, God the Father formed a new creation to start humanity by the power of His Holy Spirit. And Jesus lived his whole life in union with God by the work of the Spirit. And so by the creative Spirit of God the Father, by the miraculous work of the conception, 
In the pitch black emptiness of Mary's virgin womb, the words of Psalm 139 burst upon the scene. For you form my inward parts, and you knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. The virgin birth shows us that we can never achieve redemption on our own. God had to act to bring about a new creation. No eye has seen or ear has heard. No one has perceived a God like ours who acts upon those who wait for him. Christian, God acts. It is the uniqueness of your religion against all the other religions of the world that beg of us to act first. He acted. And we see that first in the virgin birth. Second, God promised that redemption would come through a child. Bearing and raising children was at the heart of the human task in creation. Adam and Eve were commanded to subdue the earth and rule over it, to be fruitful, to bring offspring into the world, to develop family and life and human culture. And from the very first of Scripture, the Proto-Euangelion, the first gospel, comes to us that the offspring of Eve would what? Would crush the serpent's head in Genesis 3.15. The seed will come. The child. And Luke emphasized that in Jesus like Adam, that he is the son of God. Luke 1 35 and 3 verse 38. That Jesus is the seed of Abraham. In Luke 3.34, that Jesus is the fulfillment of God's promises to the patriarchs. That he is God's son and he is the Holy One. Luke 1.35, he is a new Israel. He is also the new Davidic king. Luke 1.27, Matthew presents Jesus' virgin birth as the fulfillment of Isaiah 7.14. Matthew did not have to say this verse. But he's searching for what to say. Matthew pulls into this Isaiah chapter 7 passage. And he says, The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel. As Matthew says in chapter 1 verse 22. And this is an extended prophecy of Isaiah to Ahaz about children. He actually speaks of three children in his prophecy with Ahaz in chapter 7 and chapters 8. And these three children will bring redemption upon Israel, but the, they all point to Jesus. He is Emmanuel, God with us. The Bible is full of genealogies all throughout Scripture. But have you ever noticed that when Jesus arrives upon the scene, the long-awaited child. The record of genealogies stop. Why? Because Jesus was the promised redemption through a child. Third, the virgin birth tells us that Jesus is fully man. Jesus had a human mother. Her blood flowed through his veins in the womb. He was born and nursed. He had his diapers changed. And Mary wiped his nose and bathed him. And this is what is so amazing about the incarnation. That Jesus was as, as Katie holds little James in her arms. That's what Jesus was like. He was as human as you and I. He became man. He identified with us from the womb, through birth, and through all the normal seasons of life. Jesus went through puberty. 
Jesus learned what it was like to be a young adult. Jesus grew in stature with faith, in favor with God and man. And so he can stand in our place and act as a substitute and he can die for our sins because he rightfully is able to represent us in every way fully human. That is good news. Not only that, but fourth, Jesus is fully God. In Matthew chapter uh, uh, 1 verse 32, uh, Gabriel calls out and says, Jesus is the Son of the Most High. He calls Jesus the Son of God. These are divine titles that are given to this baby. Jesus would say later on in John 10 that I and the Father are one. And it made the Sadducees and Pharisees so cotton-picking mad they wanted to stone him on the spot for his blasphemy. But Jesus spoke the truth because he was fully God. He was the exact imprint of his nature, the radiance of God's glory, the author of Hebrews says in Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3. The church fathers regularly argued that the lack of a physical human father meant that the only true father is the one who begets the Son, his heavenly Father. Jesus, when he presents himself at age 12, his parents go back and look for him and, and he rebuffs his mother and he says, Mom, where would you expect me to be but in my Father's house? Because Jesus is God, he can truly save us from the infinite debt that we owe because of our sin. Human to be a sacrifice for us, Divine to be able to pay the infinite debt that our sin cost us in the presence of an infinitely beautiful and holy God. That is good news. Fifth, we might say that Jesus is sinless. The Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born to you will be called holy. Luke chapter 1 says... The uniqueness of Jesus' birth connects to the fact that he is called holy, that he is set apart, that he is free from the taint of human sin completely. And this uniqueness allows him to rescue us from our sin. If you're here and you're not a Christian, the reason why we worship Jesus is not because he was merely a historical figure, though he was, that he died on a Roman cross, though he did, but he died as a sinless substitute for us. Fully God and fully man. He was born of a virgin. That is that he had no sinful seed passed through man to him. The second Adam. A, per a perfect representation of what Adam was meant to be before Adam fell in sin in the garden. We are condemned in Adam because of our sin, but we are redeemed in Christ because He is holy and He is free of sin, Romans 5. Isn't that good news? Amen. Now, I've got 12. I've lost count. I think I'm on 6. It is comforting to know. Why is the virgin birth important? It is comforting to know that our big brother Jesus was the adopted son of Joseph. And he can understand us and our kids if you have an adopted child or you are adopted. Because Jesus has been there. Do you know that November is National Adoption Awareness Month? And for those of you who are adopted and those of you who are seeking to adopt... 
It's comforting to know that our big brother Jesus was also adopted. He was the adopted son of Joseph. And that means that he can understand those who are adopted because he's been where you are. Those of you who had absentee fathers, Jesus felt something of that tension, although we don't know exactly when Jesus' father Joseph passed away. If he was living during his life, we presume he passed away early, but we don't know that. But nevertheless, we do know that Jesus knows what it's like to not live with his biological father. And you know if you're adopted the unique opportunities and tensions you live with in the loving embrace of a family who has adopted you. Jesus gets it. In this Advent, I would encourage you to all the more heartily worship him because he gets you. He knows it. Seventh, the virgin birth prepares us for persecution. The teachers of the early church recognized that the virgin birth was key to the gospel and they included it in the earliest summary of the Christian faith in what they called the rule of faith in what we now call the Apostles' Creed which was developed in the fourth century. When Christians were dying under the hands of Nero and Diocletian in the early church, they had to figure out real quick which doctrines we confess are worth our lives and which were not. What was true and what was false. And so they collected doctrines and they, their grandchildren or children heard the stories of their parents and grandparents and they collected these into a creed that we profess. And the truth is Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit. And he was born of the Virgin Mary. And later when the Heidelberg Catechism is written, the 35th question is, what is the meaning of conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary? And in the 16th century, Christians would confess that the eternal Son of God, who is and continues true and eternal God, took upon himself the very nature of man, of the flesh and blood of the Virgin Mary by the operation of the Holy Spirit so that he might also be the true seed of David like his brothers in all things sin accepted. The virgin birth has been a, a clarion call of what it means to believe the gospel. And we think about the virgin birth. Well, why is that important? Well, because the, the essential tenets of the Christian faith operate not like separate bullet points, but like an ecosystem that all hang together. And you say, well, it's, 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 is it that, is it really that big of a deal? I mean, couldn't we just leave that out? Well, if we left that out, Then the story changes significantly because number one, Mary would be a liar. She understood herself to be pregnant by the Holy Spirit. She invented a story to cover up her promiscuity. Jesus never corrected her, allowing people to go on believing the miraculous story of his own birth. This makes him at best deceptive and at worst an outright liar too. It also means that the Old Testament texts were wrong, or at least they didn't have much to do with Jesus at all. And fourth, it makes the gospel writers wrong and how they applied those texts to Jesus. And it makes you wonder what else they may have gotten wrong. 
It's a mistake to think that you can section out one doctrine and treat it in total isolation from the rest. Theology is like an ecosystem. It is like a plant or an animal. It, it grows as a unified whole. It is interwoven. J. Gresham Machen wrote years ago, everyone admits that the Bible represents Jesus as having been conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. The only question is whether in making that representation the Bible is true or false. Which is another reason why the virgin birth matters. The virgin birth demands that we examine our highest authority. And if you think the Bible is God's word, it's God's revelation to people, then you cannot deny the miraculous conception of Jesus and countless other miracles in Scripture. And I wonder this Advent, what would you say is the highest authority in your life? Reddit? Twitter? You got your blue check? The, the way that you manufacture your life on Facebook? How you're investments are doing? I mean, what are you going to say to Jesus? What are you going to say to him when he says, welcome, and you say, Jesus, I deserve to get in. Look at my portfolio. What's going to matter, friends, is that Jesus, fully human, fully God, came and he gave his life for you. For some of us, we might be willing to give our life for our country, there are 1.1 million deaths in this country in battle for those who have fought for America. It's astounding and we are so grateful for those men and women. We might give our life for our children. Uh, there's a story of Alfred, Rock of, uh, uh, Alfred uh, Vanderbilt who was the great great grandson of the Commodore and uh, Alfred Vanderbilt made his money in real estate. He inherited what is equivalent of $150 billion from his parents and he turned that into $300 billion. He invested a lot of that into real estate but also in horses and one day he took a boat called the Lusitania across the Pacific. Nope, other way, Atlantic. And he went over to England for an international horse breeding competition. And the Titanic had crashed three years earlier. And they thought, well, certainly in this day and age, just at the front of World War I, German U-boats wouldn't mess with a civilian vessel, but they were wrong. And at the very edge of Ireland, the boat that Alfred Vanderbilt was on was struck by a German U-boat and began to sink. And he, of course, was in the first class. He was the, one of the wealthiest men in America. And he was in the first class, and so he got the life jacket first and they said get on get on get on he can remember this is only three years after the Titanic and they said that Alfred Vanderbilt one by one gave his life jacket every time he was handed one to a child to a child get on the boat get on the boat get on the boat and they never found his body would you give your life for your children of course what about for a stranger's child that you've never met that's big-time sacrifice but your Savior came to earth, born of a virgin, left the beauties of his Father and the presence of the Holy Spirit with whom he had enjoyed eternal fellowship eternally. And at a point in time, he took on flesh, born of a woman, born under the law. Just at the right time when lions were going extinct in Western Europe, just at the right time when the Wang Mang dynasty was beginning to transition in China, Jesus was born in the Middle East 
to a young teenage girl. And you know why he did that? For you. Friends, we ought to love birth stories because Jesus loves yours. And this Advent, I would encourage you to think back upon not only your earthly birth story, but upon your new birth story. And how this one born of a virgin who came for you opened your heart to believe. And if you're not a Christian, we are so glad you're here. But maybe this Christmas, the point of Christmas will dawn on you. And you will find yourself caught up in worshiping this mystery of Jesus, virgin born, in a whole new way. Advent is a season for us to look back upon our new birth in Christ and to grow in joy and gratitude and yet see the tension in our hearts of how we are yet unfinished and look through Christmas and all the gifts and all the sales and all the traffic to the time when Jesus is going to come again to make everything new and he's going to redeem you fully. He's going to do it. And one of the signs that he's going to do it is in Isaiah chapter 7. Lo, there will be one who is born of a virgin, and he will be Emmanuel, God with us, indeed. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you would like more information or would like to help support the local body of Trinity, please visit our website at trinityowasso.com.